Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. This is Craig Bryant, and I'm delighted to bring our Sunday School lesson for today. We're going to be in the well-known Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. So as you um, grab your Bibles, we'll start here in verse 1 in just a moment. But uh, let's just open briefly with a word of prayer, and we'll jump right into our Scripture and our lesson today. Heavenly Father, we look forward to Christmas every year for so many reasons, but I think this year during a worldwide pandemic, we can certainly hold on to the truths of Scripture as much as any time in our lives, that uh, you in the fullness of time, as we learn about in Galatians 4.4, uh, saw fit to send Christ our Messiah in a way that was humble and that had its beginnings in a manger. Yet there's power even in that birth that now to this day we can celebrate. And we're so grateful for this season of time where we can do so. And Lord, as we do celebrate the birth of Jesus, we ask now for you to help us to understand even more what grace really is and the wonderful gift that you gave as we study together today. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 2, verse 1, we'll read all the way through verse 20 real quickly. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Serenius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to go for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because... He was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. That's a key point. Verse 9, And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying one to another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it, wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. My mind goes back to the first time I watched the TV show, A Charlie Brown Christmas. And if you've seen that lately or saw it in your childhood years, you know that Charlie Brown becomes flustered after buying a tree that everyone makes fun of and they're getting ready for a Christmas pageant, and they're all trying to figure out what it's about. And Charlie Brown said, isn't there anyone who can tell me what Christmas is all about? And Linus grabs his blanket and says, Charlie Brown, I can. And he proceeds to basically tell 
not from reading, but from memory, the story that I just read. And at the end, he says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And from that early age when I saw that, and I'd heard this story in church, and to these years, even now, it's a special thing to me. My family, when I was growing up, read this story together around the fireplace on Christmas Eve every year at our home in West Texas. And so my brother and sister and I have carried on that tradition with our children, at times reading and sharing and telling the story um, about this. It's just so special to us. And today as we dig in, let me just tell you, there's a lot to this story. We'll clip along quickly, but I do want to unpack this in several different segments. First of all, uh, Joseph and Mary had to go back to the city of David, which was known as Bethlehem, for the census. Many of you just went through a census where online you registered or a person came through with a certain um, vest and maybe a, a fanny pack where they were taking the census in your neighborhood. And they were doing it for the same reason it was happening back in Caesar Augustus's day, and that is for taxation and representation. And so on that day, um, when Jesus was being born, Mary had to travel great with child. How many of you, being great with child, as, as women and their husbands, would have wanted to travel uh, either by walking or by horseback or by some other means, maybe a wagon in those days? Uh, that would have been very difficult. In fact, doctors nowadays tell pregnant ladies after the seventh month, don't travel anymore. Don't go far. It's not safe. And yet they did that because it was required by the government. And her days were told or were, sorry, were um, completed where she was to give birth. And we're going to read about that now. So in verses 4 and 5, we see how Joseph and Mary travel up to Bethlehem. And they're there because it is their household, not the place they lived, but their history and heritage. And we know in Isaiah 11.1, 1, I don't ask you to go back to that, but I'll just read it to you real quick. A shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and strength, and of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And then over in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll raise up from David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In the these days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this name by which he will be called the Lord of Righteousness. So Isaiah and Jeremiah were prophets of old that people would have completely understood and respected. And they had prophesied that this was going to take place in the city of David. Now let's go forward to our second segment, verses 6 and 7. This is where Mary gives birth. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in tight claws, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So there's three key things here. She's giving birth as a virgin to her firstborn son. That's clearly the crux of why this day is so important, is the Lord came to earth in the most humble of circumstances in a way that would make it seem to those who knew the prophecy that it was being fulfilled. 
So being wrapped tightly in cloth and laying in a manger because there's no room for them in the end. We could spend the next 30 minutes talking about the significance of a manger, a stable, and being born in a place because there was rejection, meaning there's no place to go. If you've ever traveled and gone to hotels without a reservation, you're hopeful you can get a room for the night. And in many cases, people don't do that anymore. It's so easy to log on to the internet and do that. But in those days, there was no such thing. You had to show up. And I would imagine Joseph and Mary got to the city of David in Bethlehem quite late. It was a difficult journey of about 90 miles. She being so pregnant, it was uncomfortable. And obviously, the rooms were all taken. But yet, as we'll see a little bit later, it was very clear to the shepherds who were used to very humble means, very insignificant lives in many ways, that they would be comfortable in that kind of circumstance and that God would show in all circumstances he is there. Whether there's royalty of a palace or straw in a manger, he is there. So that's a key thing to know. Now, another thing of importance was that this was the fulfillment of time. In Galatians 4.4, the fullness of time had been met. There are roads in place to get people to and from places. There's a time of peace during Jesus' um, early years, so there wouldn't have had to have trouble on the roads with uh, you know, robbers and wars all around them. And finally, the Greek language was in place where people could communicate and people could be able to correspond across various parts and regions of the world. That was an important part of the timing of the prophecy so that there was an ability for folks to interact and move around freely. That would be hugely important as the wise men came to visit later on in Jesus' early days. Now let's look at the third part of this, verses 8 through 10. The shepherds, they're out in the fields on the hillsides watching over their flock and an angel comes before them and the glory of the lord is there remember it's nighttime and as you know from studying scripture anytime an angel comes most recipients of those visits are terrified and when the glory of the lord passes by or is shown there's a brightness that is unmistakable so you can imagine going from night to the brightest of lights all at once with a messenger. That would get your attention. In fact, the scripture says they're terrified. Verse 9. But the angel, the first thing he says is, don't be afraid. Scripture is full in the Old and New Testaments of people being told not to fear or to have courage. Friends, during a time of pandemic, a time of illness, a time of people fighting for their lives, yet even in difficult times, we can have great courage. And these shepherds would be shocked by not only the messenger, but by the message. The angel says in verse 10, I proclaim to you the good news of great joy for all people. Notice right then and there. The shepherds, who were probably of the Jewish heritage, given where they were living and tending their flocks, were hearing a message for all people, that today a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah. 
And then the angel gives them a sign. A baby wrapped tightly in cloth, lying in a manger. Now remember, the census had come to Bethlehem. The city was overflowing with guests. If you've ever been to a place where something major is going on, a convention, something like the Olympics, where the whole world has come to the doorstep of a city, you'll find that it's overflowing. The roads, the hotels, the restaurants, the businesses, it's hard to get around. Think of, of New York City on New Year's Eve, just shoulder to shoulder. That's how this place must have been. And yet the angel says, it will be unmistakable to you how you're going to find the Messiah that's been born. You're going to find a newborn baby in a stable, lying in a manger of straw. It will be unmistakable. Think about that for a minute. The shepherds didn't have to go looking in what would be known as a, a hospital or a medical clinic or a home or an inn. They could go straight away to a place that would be unique and completely um, uh, different than anything they've ever experienced. You know, Pastor Keith often tells us to look at Scripture in context of the who, what, where, when, and why. And clearly the where was unmistakable. The who was unmistakable. The when was now. And in fact, that's what happens after the angels leave with a whole host coming in. The first thing the shepherds do is in verse 15. The angels left. They returned to heaven. The shepherds said one to another, let's go straight away to Bethlehem and see what's happened, which the Lord has made known to us through his angel. So the first thing they did is said, okay, let's go. Now, leaving behind their flocks in the fields would not be the safest thing for the flocks, but they knew the urgency and the importance of the situation. Dropping everything. You've probably had that in your life somewhere along the way, where you've had to leave a place and drop everything because of an urgent situation, an emergency, a significant event. And many times it's somewhat bad news. In this case, it was the best news they could find. We know later in life, Jesus is walking along the shoreline and sees the men who would become his disciples and said, hey, come with me, leave your nets here, and I will teach you to be fishers of men, and they do it right then and there. There is an urgency to Jesus' call. And in this case, the angel's call said, go see, and they said, we're going. And they dropped everything and went on their way. Friends, when we get an understanding of the urgency of God's message, we should literally drop everything to share with others what that is, to share the good news as Pastor Keith and other pastors have been talking about of late. Let's make sure we're doing God's business urgently. Okay, so here's what happens as we get ready to wrap up our lesson. Verses 16 through 19. They hurried off and they found them, Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So this newborn, just several hours old, was found by shepherds as they were told it would be. And then they told all who were there. So we don't know who else was there besides Mary and Joseph and the baby, but the inference is that there were others there. And they reported the message that they had been told about the child, and all were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They'd be amazed for probably three reasons. Number one, it's stinky shepherds. There, there wasn't a band of instruments. There wasn't a bunch of church leaders. It's shepherds who are coming in from being in the fields who have been told by the angel. 
Number two, the fact they had guests right off the bat. For those who've had babies in hospitals and you have guests around, usually it's family. Maybe you're closest to friends, but just a handful of people there as you celebrate the birth of a child. And that's wonderful. But here's strangers, and they've come to share. And the third thing is they were blown away by the message. We don't get the specific details, but as you can imagine, the shepherd shared the angel being there and then the whole host and what was said. And so we know that they are amazed by it. Mary, it says, treasured these things in her heart and meditated upon them. This is very wise for a very young girl to do. Introspective or retrospective learning. Most of us do learning after the fact, and we uh, make lists of things that we can do better next time. In the sporting world, you watch film and game tape of something so that you can learn from your mistakes. And in the business world, you look at your stock price and you look at your review of, of your quarterly earnings. And there's all sorts of ways you look back on things. But Mary had been through the ringer here. She'd had to travel 90 miles. She'd had the difficulty of a birth. She was probably exhausted. And then she had strangers show up with a message. But she took all this in. And she meditated on what could it possibly mean. Remember, she had been visited by an angel. Been told what was going to happen about her being the mother and what his name or the name of her son was going to be as the Messiah. All of that had happened over the course of these days. And so Mary had pondered all this. What great maturity for a young lady to do. May we be like that as we learn things and as we see things. May we look at wisdom and ask God for wisdom in those situations. Remember now, fast forwarding in time, Mary stuck stuck with Jesus throughout his entire ministry. Not only as a loyal mom, but she was there, you know, at the crucifixion. She clearly was there when Jesus commanded the disciple to take care of his mother. Uh, I mean, all of those things shows that Mary loved her son, but at this point in time, she was already trying to understand what it all meant. Isn't that wonderful that she's putting things together from a very early age. For those of you that are young in age, may you do the same. For those of us who are older and have gray hair, may we have that same mindset of learning from what we see and experience and applying it through God's vision, uh, through God's visions that have been explained throughout Scripture. Finally, in closing, um, I want us to all turn over to John 8, 12. And as you're turning over, um, this is a lesson that's being played on December 20th. Well, tomorrow night, the 21st, um, if you've been kind of keeping up with the news, the Christmas star is supposed to appear in the western sky. And this is where, as the moon is in its crescent phase, in one part of the sky, for about 30 minutes to an hour, Jupiter and Saturn are going to be appearing very closely together in the western sky. First time it's going to be visible in about 800 years. And if you go back and study the stars and this historical part of what astronomy says is that around Jesus' birth, it would have been Jupiter and Neptune that would have been in the sky. And I'm not saying that um, here in December that 
you know, it's all just another timing of, of uh, supernatural events. What I am saying is we're getting a glimpse of what something like that might have looked like to the wise men and to those people who followed the stars in the sky to meet Jesus. Because there was an unmistakable way of looking at the sky to find the Savior. An unmistakable experience for those that were involved in searching, having that guiding light. And John 8, 12 says this, Jesus spoke again to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus as a mature adult is teaching in these situations. And in fact, the Pharisees are around, people who know Scripture inside out, and they're questioning him. But Jesus calls himself the light of the world and says, you're not going to walk in darkness. You'll have the light of life. That night of his birth, the shepherds had great light with the glory of God. That night of his birth, Mary began to understand even a little bit of what was happening. That night of his birth, there were witnesses, both in terms of angels, heavenly hosts, people on earth that saw what happened. We know a few days later in the temple, there were more witnesses of the coming Messiah as he went for circumcision. All of this pointed toward Jesus being the fulfillment of great prophecy. And I can tell you to this day, as we look back in history, we're so grateful that it was unmistakably clear that from the prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah and others to this very good day when pastors teach the great truths of God, that the Christmas story resonates true. I'm closing with one final illustration. In 1906, a man named Reginald Fessenden was working with radio waves, and he figured out that there were two different frequencies, and if you combine these, that you could do more with radio than just transmit Morse code. By the way, the story I'm telling you here came from a card I received from a lady in our church, one of our senior citizens who's a dear friend. And this card talks about how Mr. Fessenden figured out that you could speak over the radio. So in 1906, the first time in human history that's recorded, a human voice was heard on the airwaves. Guess what Reginald did? He read the Christmas story that we just went over from the book of Luke. Then he picked up his violin and played the hymn, O Holy Night. What a way to use technology to share the good news in a way people had never experienced before. And friends, as I close today using technology to record this lesson that I've never used before today, Gregory Baines is helping me with some new technology that I've not experienced before. But the message can go out over the airwaves, over the internet, through technology, not only nearby, but to the ends of the earth. Aren't we grateful that the message, though, is unchanging? And we're grateful that God saw in his plan to send the Messiah to us in such a way that it's unmistakable, both of the prophets and the location, who he is. We look forward to his second coming, where it will be unmistakable, again, who he is as King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, have a Merry Christmas. Enjoy it with your friends and family as you celebrate. We look forward to another 
uh, set of lessons coming up in the new year. But until we're together again over technology or in person, enjoy the wonderful holidays we celebrate Messiah's birth. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we do close this lesson time together, we're grateful for the clearness of Scripture, for prophecy fulfilled, for Messiah who was born, lived a sinless life, and then was crucified, buried, and rose again so that we may have everlasting life by believing in Him and in His name. We're so grateful for that truth, Lord, and grateful that you saw fit. And now, Lord, as we celebrate this Christmas season, we ask for health, we ask for wisdom and guidance for the days ahead, and we thank you again for your unspeakable gift that you gave to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.